this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? It is the last interview of the Safety 1, Safety 2 miniseries. Not the last episode, but the last interview. Let's jump into the intro and I'll tell you more about today's guest. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebound and Safety. Rebound and Safety is the podcast and YouTube channel doing exactly what it says on a team. We're here to change the perception of health and safety and we do that right here. I've already said that, where we do it. Damn, I need to nail down this, this intro. Okay, today's guest, yet again, another legend. I mean, there's just so many of them, we can't talk to them all. Yes, we can. Yes, we can talk to them all. That is our life's goal to talk to all these legends. And today is one of my favorites because this guy is so cool. Like you listen to him in one thing and it's just like, you're like, oh wow, this guy's so professional and like really intelligent. And then you listen to him on something else or you chat to him and it's like, oh, this is just like a dude down the pub, like effing and blinding and stuff. Like it just, oh, just love the guy. Like, yeah, proper fanboy. Um, has a huge background, extensive background in senior safety roles. And, and after 18 years of those, uh, completed a PhD in the safety scientist, scientist, sciences at the legendary Griffith University. Now as a managing director of a company called Forge Works. And if you know, you know. An adjunct research fellow of Safety Science Innovation Lab. Now, I don't know if I said adjunct right, because to me that sounds like a terrible word. Um, but, you know, if you're in the research, researcher space, safety science space, then let me know if that's the right word. But basically, he does research for Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University. Um, where he's supervising and conducting industry-based safety science research. And some of the stuff this guy's produced, obviously in partnership with other people, is nothing short of amazing work. Um, nothing short of like tone setting for the future. Definitely thinks this guy's work is the type of work we'll look back on. And Sorry, my mum was ringing me. I think definitely we will look back on this guy's work and hopefully look back on it with learning from Carsten Bush, a little bit of local rationality. But I genuinely think this will stand the test of time. A lot of stuff he does is as outstanding and we need to hear it now and I think we'll continue to need to hear it for a long time. So today's guest works heavily in Australia in this safety differently space. And in addition, he has partnered up with Drew Ray to Unfortunately, as much as it pains me to say, deliver what I think is one of the best, actually, actually, I'm going to say it. I think him and Drew Ray partnered up to deliver the best safety podcast there is. Yes, even better than mine. I just think it's such an outstanding idea because it fits me so well. The podcast is called Safety of Work Podcast. Now you definitely know who today's guest is. It's David Provan. 
The Safety of Work prog podcast is just outstanding. And I won't talk about it too much because it's inevitable that I'm going to fanboy over it in the reflection episode. But if you haven't listened already, make sure you do. Add this to your follow list because it is outstanding. If you want to know what's going on in the research and science space, but you cannot be asked to read all those really complicated, wordy, horrible documents with citations that bounce you from left to right all over the place, you don't want to read all that stuff. You can't be asked. You haven't got the time, but you do have to walk the dog twice a day. Safety Work Podcast is the one for you, 100%. So anyway, without further ado, let's hear from David Provan. I will caveat this conversation just briefly to say that we do talk about a lot of stuff, but there is a fair chunk of it which is very relevant to this Safety 1, Safety 2 space, very relevant to what a safety professional may or should look like in the future. So we talk about a lot of stuff, we talk about his work, we talk about podcasts, we talk about loads of stuff. Um, as per usual, you know, I like to keep it nice and emergent um, so it wasn't solidly down one, one kind of focused route. However, in my opinion, it does fit really well into this mini-series. If you disagree, feel free to subscribe and like, and then once you've done that, you're allowed to comment as much as you want, and then you can just be as horrible as you like. Or you can just scroll past and go listen to something else if you want, like Safety of Work podcast. Anyway, I'm going to start waffling on. Let's get into today's conversation with the legendary David Provan. All right, David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, James. It's great to uh, be on your show. Well, it's great to have you on. You've, you've quite quickly become a legend in the podcasting world. Oh, I feel I feel kind of like I'm standing on the shoulders shoulders of giants because uh, you know I was so lucky to do a PhD with with Sydney Decker and Drew Ray at Griffith, and then um, they've just been able to introduce me into all the introduce me to all these amazing people around the world, and I've just read and read and read and and tried to contribute and uh, and having a whole lot of fun. Yeah, awesome, good. I like it. I will we'll probably we'll probably naturally come on to the podcast anyway and, and, and some of the work you've done. But why don't you, for anyone that doesn't know you, why don't you just give us a bit of an introduction into yourself? So safety is really the only thing I've thought about uh, in a professional sense or in, a, in, in my adult life. You know, I, I, since I was 18, 17, 18 and first went to university, I studied safety and psychology. And then I got a graduate safety position in the railways and worked my way through to senior management positions, went into construction, uh, went into safety director role in the oil and gas business. And that's kind of all I'd done in my whole career. And I just felt a bit stale. I, I felt, you know, after 10 or 12 years that I felt that we weren't really moving as a profession. I felt that we, I couldn't put my finger on the value that we were adding to companies. And, and so then I just started looking outside, side, my day-to-day -day work and starting to read and starting to connect with people and figured that I actually wanted to try to help more people and more organizations. So the way to do that was to, was to do a PhD and then start a consulting business and, and try to just um, broaden myself out for sort of the, the second half of my career. And so that's where we are now. I like that, that you, you kind of, that, that resonates to be honest, quite a lot with pretty much everyone that's got started a podcast, funny enough. So that my story is pretty much the same. I was a safety professional for a few years and then was like, I don't really, I don't feel like we're really having much impact. And, and, and my kind of story is I always say, 
that I was quite naive when I started this podcast and I was a bit like, oh, there's nobody talking about this new way to look at safety. It's just my unique view. And I started the podcast, read a couple of books, and was like, shit, actually quite a lot of people are talking like this. <laughs> I haven't got the monopoly, which is, which is bad, but it was amazing. And then Sam Goodman is pretty much the same. We had him on the podcast and he was saying as well that like, you know, he didn't, he, he calls himself a recovering safety professional, which I liked as well. It seems to me like this, natural journey i think like that everyone goes through you become and maybe if you want to go down that safety one safety two route maybe that would be to be honest probably a podcast in itself but like it's it seems that everyone goes through this kind of just to use that phrase safety one journey hits this kind of point and then goes "Hmm, there's got to be something else to this i wonder whether it's natural or not i don't know oh look i think you you start a safety role or a safety career and I was definitely quite naive and you think there's a relatively simple formula. You train people and write a bunch of processes and, and check people, follow them and, and um, investigate things that go wrong. And, you know, you can happily cruise through year after year and, um, and not upset too many people in your business and you know, maybe not add, add a whole lot to the business either, but you can, you can kind of do that. And I think then you just hit this point where you, you, you know, ask those questions, you get to a point in your career, it might be for some three years, it might be five for me, it was, it took me about 10. And, um, and you just go, is this what I'm going to do for the next 30 years, you know, the same, the same year of experience 30 more times. And, you know, I'd started doing stuff differently in in my business, not really knowing about what was out there. I was, Mm. I was ignorant of what was going on outside my organization and the echo chamber of industry. And then when Sydney Decker came to Australia in 2012, I, sort of got involved sort of read his work and then i just gave him a call and said oh this stuff you're talking about you know i think we're you know we've been doing a lot of it for the last couple of years do you want to come and check out what we're doing and you know that was where it really all started um for me in terms of connecting with the broader community oh wow awesome so you just just dropped sydney a line was like sup sid and then come and have a look at what we're doing and that was it i like that I like that. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, this is 2011 or so, and he just he was connecting with Australian businesses because because he was um, he'd started the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith and started mm. a program here and and was looking for industry kind of um, partners and and funds. So he was very receptive to kind of understanding what the state of play was in in regards to safety in Australia. So and he always has been. I mean, Sydney he's all, he's always been great. I mean, people can email him and call him, and um, you know he'll do his best to. You know, get in touch with anyone. Mm. Well, this is a, this is an off the hoof question, actually. But what is it about Australia? All the good stuff in safety does seem to be coming from Australia. And I mean, even if you look at like I know New Zealand's not Australia, but that kind of that kind of continent, I suspect like they're even dealing with COVID better as well. Like, what is it about those kind of areas that just seem to get this like more people focused approach? Look, I think um, I think the countries are younger. I mean, our countries have only got two hundred years of, of history, so um, and, and we're much smaller populations. I mean, there's twenty five or 30, 30 million people in Australia, and it's the you know the size of the US in terms of um, geography. So we're not living that close together. So you know, probably slows the COVID transmission down a little bit, um, <laughs> yeah. and we're also last last to get certain things. But it you know it helps us be you know maybe a little bit more dynamic it helps individuals have bigger voices because there's less total voices in the community so you know the population's yeah. small enough in australia with five or six people who are um who are sort of 
you know, trying to think and help and promote uh, critical ways of thinking about safety and new ways of thinking about safety, you know, their voices are able to be heard. Um, well, I, I think that's quite, quite sensible, actually, I think. That's, uh, I didn't thought of it like that, that, that Australia is the size. I went there for my honeymoon, first time I've ever been, went to Australia for my honeymoon. We did a, a cruise of the, I always forget what coast it is, the coast that Sydney, that, uh, yeah, Sydney's on. Um, yeah, the east coast. Yeah, east coast. That's yep. it. Where the, where the coral reef is and all that. So we we did the we did a cruise along there. But I've never thought of it like that. Jesus, it's the same size of America, but like nowhere near the population. That is nuts. I remember sitting in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go on. Oh, sorry. I remember. No, um, yeah. Yeah. We sat, and you know, I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise, but you're going to cruise. You have those horrible orange, like they look like lifeboats, but they're just shuttles that take you from the ship to the land if you, if they if they can't get close enough. They're horrible. It's like a submarine on top. It's disgusting. You're sweaty and horrible. Oh, it's horrible. Anyway, when I was sitting there, you're packed. You're like, you're in like sardines. And I was talking to an Australian family and we, me and my wife were like naively surprised because there was loads of Australian people on this cruise. And we were like, if you live in Australia, why, why are you coming on a cruise of the South Coast or, or the East Coast, whatever it was? And and it was then that we started to realise, Jesus, this place is actually huge. <laughs> like we were really like geographically naive. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is. It is a big country, and I mean, I've never been on one of those cruises, and it might be something that I actually never get to go on, uh, depending on whether those sorts of things ever bounce back. True. We were lucky. We went about. Oh God, it must have been over a year ago now, but very, very, very lucky to, to have done that before this happened. But anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. I do that a lot. My apologies. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm quite intrigued as to, as to kind of how, how, how you, that, that kind of, so now you kind of, you're a part-time researcher, like you say, um, and, and that's, how did that kind of come about? Was that natural or, or is, is in that process of you wanted to deliver more or is it, was there one specific point that went, hey, you know, I'm going to do this or one paper or something like that? Um, I'd sort of decided that I, I, I wanted to start a, start a consulting business. I, I, I thought there was an opportunity to provide better external support to companies and so that was sort of the start of my my thinking about that. And I thought, well, if you're going to do that, then you have to at least be confident in your own expertise. So I'd already done maybe 12 or 13 years as a safety director, as a head of safety. And I was feeling like if I was just going to keep doing that, I'd just go to a new company and do the same thing for five years and then go to the next company and do the same thing for five years. And mm. I just didn't feel like that was going to um, inspire me for for the rest of my career. So the two things sort of went together, going and doing the PhD, um, just for my own chance to, to learn and, and, and make sure I kind of understood the safety science landscape and then sort of come out of that by, by starting this and, you know, try to put some of those evidence-based practices into, into services to, you know, to support companies. So the two went together very much okay. so to sort of do that career transition. Um, was how was that transition becoming like a re, was it like a new skill to be a researcher? How different is it? I mean, I'd always done a lot of study. Like I'd done yeah. a couple of master's degrees and an undergraduate degree, and so I'd, I'd probably spent uh, I don't know ten years of study in the previous fifteen of part-time study and things like that. So the study wasn't wasn't um, 
wasn't too bad. And I was just so, I was just so motivated, you know, about, about reading all this stuff that really smart people had kind of done and written and, you know, getting the opportunity to, to design my own questions that I was interested in and to then, you know, go and get the data. And, um, yeah, that was an amazing experience just to sort of be a researcher and have blank pieces of paper in front of you and be just really listening and observing to what, you know, people were saying and doing and, you know, trying to make sense of it. Like I found, I actually found that, um, that part of the process really, um, really rewarding, really exciting, really, really great to lots of surprises. Like I had these amazing epiphanies on the way through my research of just, ah, yeah, well, okay. So that's the way that this works, Mm. you know, just by getting that opportunity to, uh, to just really think about it. Mm, I like that. I like that. That's interesting. Which, which actually brings us on quite nicely to the, the paper that you've done, which I think we'll, we'll get into like proper heavy. And I'll hold my hands up. I'm ter- I don't read research papers. I haven't got that cognitive capacity or that attention span like to do it. But which is why I absolutely love your podcast with, with Drew, The Safety of Work, because you do that for me. You read it and then you discuss it. And I'm just like, Perfect. Thank you very much. Now I don't need to sit down and read this. Thank you. Um, so I hold my hands up. This is this is the way I learn by talking and listening. Um, but I'd love to get into it because I think so your paper is called Benefactor or, or, or Burden. So it's, it's from how I kind of interpret it, it's it's that uh, it's how we as a safety professional kind of see ourselves, which is what what you kind of entitled the the podcast episode where you discussed it. But for me, I think that just it adds that kind of uh that more academic way of what we're talking about in the podcast you know we call it rebranding safety for a reason is i genuinely felt like i need to rebrand how i see myself and how other people see me like i hated how you know i played rugby so you know if i didn't tackle somebody it was like oh did did you not tackle them because your risk assessment it was too high risk or some crap you know joke like that um and so you know i hated it i had and i was like this is not what safety is so like what what started that paper what why did you kind of do that and then we'll get into it from there okay so let me let me give um a short uh history of kind of like the start of that paper so yeah. when i when i started talking to sydney with all of we we're talking a lot about well safety differently and safety too and resilience engineering was talking a lot about safety in organizations and and you know managers and workers and that and and it was almost silent on the safety profession and so i said to sid i said like what's your view on the safety professional or safe or the profession what does this all mean and and his kind of comment was well i think the profession's kind of an irrelevant nuisance like if if managers are doing what managers do and technical people do what technical people do and workers you know are trusted and supported and do what they do then you don't need a safety profession and I'm like, oh, come on. Well, you know, I've just done 15 years of my career as a safety <laughs> professional. And I'm going, well, I've got, this is a, I said, maybe, but, you know, maybe also this is a massive resource for organizations that they've already got in place. And, and what if we could, what if we could find a way to that resource for kind of good rather than evil? And so the good rather than evil was kind of the benefactual burden piece, kind of like, mm, um, and so, I'd gone and done a literature review where I sort of reviewed about a hundred uh, research papers that have been written on the safety profession in the last uh, 30 years. And we knew a lot about the profession. We kind of knew who they were. We knew what education they had. We knew what tasks and activities they did in their role. 
but we kind of didn't know what the safety profession thought or believed. So the starting point to me was going, well, I'm not like, I'm interested in what safety professionals do, but I'm interested in knowing, do they do that because that's what they believe or do they do that because the sort of institutional forces are so great in their organization that regardless of what they believe, that's the work they're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my, my social theory lens of this is how much is agency and how much is structure. So I figured that when I started my PhD, what I really needed to do was understand what safety professionals believed, you know, about safety and about their role and about themselves. So that was kind of that research paper that you talk about there, benefactor or burden, exploring the professional identity of safety professionals, where I, where I asked a, a group of safety professionals individually in interviews, just four questions. I just said, tell me about your safety background. Uh, tell me how you think organizations should best manage safety. Uh, tell me about what you think your role is as a safety professional and tell me how you measure the success or effectiveness of your performance of your role. And that was it. Four wow. questions and people talked at me for an hour and a half. Yeah, I was going to say, they're like big this. questions. <laughs> they're big questions. Yeah. And they were designed to be big, you know, like if you ask people, what's my safety background, you know, you, and people say, what do you mean? It's like, well, just wherever you want to start. So some people said, you know, I went to university or some people said I was involved in an accident or some people said, you know, my father, you know, did this in his career and that motivated me to do this. And, and it was just trying to understand kind of the journey into the profession and through the profession and then try to make sense of how much of that journey um, and how the person thinks about safety kind of relates to how they see their role and, you know, what they see as important and success. And then what these kind of belief archetypes and narratives are that the safety profession hold and that's kind of all within that paper you know just all the tensions Mm. and trade-offs and complexities uh associated with kind of the safety role in organizations it's interesting because like like how you kind of you that conversation you have with sydney is fascinating because i've always kind of said you know that the aim of our role should surely be that we make ourselves redundant like surely we need to get to a point where the businesses just do safety. Like we all talk about safety just being an integral part of the business, you know, part something that we just kind of do in, in inherently in, in our operations, we just kind of think about the risk. And you know, when we're teaching people to do risk assessments, we're, we're trying to get them to be more mindful of it and kind of do it as they do that risk assessment, move away from the risk assessment being like a written formal process to being more of a thought process is how I've always tried to train people to do it which then it gets to a point where, well, essentially my dream is that I don't have to work anymore, uh, obviously. Uh, and then, and then um, they just do it. And, and that's interesting. That maybe Sydney didn't really go that far, but it's interesting that you kind of challenge that to say, well, hang on a minute. No, there, there's a massive resource of, of like unique way of thinking that the businesses can actually use here. But what did you, um, so what was the kind of overarching kind of, I don't understand if people can get this from listening to your podcast, but like, what did you take away from, from it? What you thought personally, that people perceive themselves as a profession? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. And, um, and you know, before I answer that, maybe I can give a perspective on, on your comment there about doing yourself out of a job. I think it's one of those cliches that um, sounds good, but I don't, I, you know, I don't, think I believe that anymore. I just think that, okay. you know, the world is so dynamic and changing. And, you know, if you go back to like, um, 
Charles Perrault's work or Jens Rasmussen's work or David Woods's work, they'll just say that, you know, and even Sid's latest stuff, I know the book manuscript that he's just submitting at the moment on neoliberalism and, and capitalism, you, you just know that the push for the dollar, you, you need to have another force in your company that's pushing for safety. Mm -hmm. You know, because the pressures the pressures are always going to be there in organisations. So you know, that's why I feel like there's there's always this role for for someone who's looking at the organisation solely through the lens of safety, to you know to contribute. That's my hope. Doesn't need to be necessarily a big group, but um, I I'm not sure it would be smart for an organisation to claim victory over safety and get rid of their mm -hmm. safety department. Um, no, I like the way in, you in terms that. of the <laughs> in, in terms of the takeaways. Look, I. I left thinking it was funny. I, I, I sort of set up, not set up, you know, the, the questions that I asked the participants, they were hard questions. And even today I'd be, um, I'd be, I'd find those tough to answer, you know, and I asked mm -hmm. those participants a couple of years ago and I actually don't know what, you know, how I'd answer some of those questions. <laughs> and what I sort of found was that, you know, the profession is so diverse, the ways of thinking are so diverse and, there's so many tensions and trade-offs and paradoxes in the role. Uh, and I sort of lay out about eight or nine of these, um, these paradoxes. And, and by that, I mean, for your listeners, you know, paradox is something that, you know, two things that are seemingly in opposition, but both are true. And so something like a, a safety person saying, well, leaders should be accountable for safety and leaders should make decisions about safety unless the decision they make is not what I think is safe or not. And then yeah. it's my job to you know change the decision that they've made yeah. or, or it's it, it was there's all these there's all these um it's this unless it's this in the role um mm. and i find that makes it really really hard it makes it hard for professionals to it, ma it makes it easy for professionals to get it wrong and make it makes it hard for organizations to understand the role and um and how best to support it so even one of the conclusions of that paper was just actually you know thinking in your organization about what your role is and talking to other stakeholders about hey this is my role and in this situation this is the way i perform it but in this situation please understand that you know this is the way i perform it and this is the reason and i just i just don't well i never had those discussions with my organizations and you know i think that's why often the safety professional you know falls off the same page as their management hmm. i like that so you you would kind of say that that would be one takeaway for, for for anyone to just kind of start having those conversations and and kind of explain this is how i see myself potentially dealing with this type of situation and that type of situation and then what looking for how how the business kind of perceive those situations as well and what they think is that, is that what you mean yeah i definitely i think asking asking pressures you know how how many times have you had conversations with with your management and say look if i see something that you know is unsafe in the business you know how do you want me to approach that you know, who do you want me to, how do you, who do you want me to go to first? And I've done that with organizations, which has been um, really empowering to, to do it and say, Hey, you know how we discussed when I, when I said I saw something I wasn't going to like, or even like um, getting clear with the organization about, uh, about auditing processes. And, you know, we say, Oh, we, we really want to find out bad news, but then, you know, you put a red mark on an audit and throw it on a board table of a company about a safety issue and you know see how that conversation goes um so i just think this all these things make it really really hard 
for the safety profession. I say quite a bit that I think the safety profession is the toughest job to do in a business, full mm -hmm. stop. Um, absolutely. It's the only role. It has to know everything that's going on from the boardroom out into the field. It's actually probably the only functional role that actually needs to know how work is actually performed. Um, most other people don't really need to know that. It needs to know what's going on in HR and IT and project management and engineering and procurement supply chain. And you know, it, it needs to interface with all those business processes. And so, you know, that's why I think you see a lot of people frustrated with the profession because they say, oh, this person's good at the paperwork, but they're not good in the field. Or, you know, mm. this person's, you know, good at this, but not good at that. I think it's because the profession has to be so good at pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, we kind of have hard. to be, we kind of have to be like, I remember doing a, a, a local school there, like a careers day, and, and I saw it on Facebook, and I was like, hey, I'll come along and talk about safety as a career. Like, I think it's a great career. I love my job. Um, and I, mean, I was sitting in a room, and, and, the, and I said to the kids, what, what do you think about safety? And, and it was all kind of, well, my dad says that it, that it stopped him doing what he says he does. And I went to this, this caravan, and they had a sign saying the shower was slippery. No shit. Do you know what I mean? And I just thought, wow, it's fascinating that young kids have got this perception of health and safety kind of gone mad. Um, but then, and I remember saying in there, like, do you know what it actually is? Is in one day, you're a lawyer, you're an engineer, you're a psychologist, you're a sociologist, you're absolute you're a trainer you're a policy writer you're so many things and it's the only job in the business where you get your fingers in every single pie like you have to know how finance operate how the board operates how operations operate how all of these kind of aspects of the business which inherently makes it unbelievably complex and it does. And that's why, you know, I think going back to the conversation about, you know, having lots and lots of open conversations with your organization about what your role is and demystifying it for your organization mm. and, and talking about different situations uh, that make your role hard and, and, you know, interactions that make your role hard. And, you know, I think, I think that would be the place that I'd encourage people to start. If I ever went back inside an organization, that's all I'd be doing is just talking a lot about this is how it's done what do you think are we on the same page mm. um how can we make it work how can we agree what the most important things for me to be doing are you know can we you know can we all just have a good conversation that all this box ticking stuff is not as useful for me as being out you know in the field or you know in a project meeting or something like that um helping make decisions or monitoring what's going on um, mm. yeah i just think we kind of don't do that we just kind of like get either um we don't think we need to do that, I suppose, in, for some people or, or others just uh, um, just have a sort of a learned helplessness or, or a victim mentality where they just go, you know, that's what it is and there's nothing I can do to change it. Mm. It's interesting because I, I know you've been on a couple of Ron Gantz calls over, over the coronavirus period, these amazing calls that Ron's been doing, which is just like, I tell you what, I've learned more on Ron Gantz calls than, than I have in eight years of being a professional. So shout out to Ron Gant and there's, what's it called, a PDSC, I think, calls. Anyway, they're amazing. And I, know, I, I think you've been, is it PDSC? I maybe I've got yeah, it. physical distancing something something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I'd have just called them COVID calls because I'm much more simple-minded than, uh, than Ron is. He's far too intelligent for me. Um, but it's interesting because we had one, was it yesterday? We, we were talking about teaching safety. Um, and uh, 
it was interesting. We started the conversation about how safety professionals train non-safety professionals, but then we, we found out that actually that wasn't the intent of the conversation. The intent of the conversation was to talk about how we as safety professionals are taught safety. So the qualifications, the degrees that we have, and this then opened up a fascinating conversation where we were talking about all the different degrees. There was a gentleman on there, I know his first name was Mike, but I don't know his second name, who, who I think was a, a lecturer in, in a university who taught kind of resilience and human engineering. I can't remember. Uh, it might be Mike Beam. I think he's in Mike Beam. Cool. I'll, I've, I've, I'm going to add that onto a post-it note then because I love what <laughs> he, how he was kind of talking about it. Um, but we were talking and, and we ended up coming onto the same thing as what we're what we're talking about. And I said that you know, what one of the problems I think with the qualifications, especially in the UK, is the qualifications are designed around how people perceive the safety profession. So it's very traditional uh, kind of technical engineering based. So it, we go through these qualifications. So I, for example, I've just done my level six diploma, just finished it, finally got my ass around to actually doing it, uh, done it. And it's all like, it's very general. So I'm going through that and I'm talking about, elect, you know, key, key critical, safety critical components in electrical uh, safety and scaffolding and fire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, this, this was like the last book of essentially three books. And I'm sitting there thinking, how is it right that me, as a person who's never been, I trained an electrician in college, but that aside, uh, you know, never be a scaffolder, for example, never been uh, an, an engineer, never been anything, has to learn all these safety critical components. And then going to work and tell somebody who's been doing engineering for 20, 30 years, and say, well, well, sorry, you're wrong, because I read in a book, that you're supposed to do it like this. And then we wonder why they get peed off. Do you, do you think that it's interesting? It would have been great to have you on that call, actually. But do you think that it there is a fundamental problem in how the rest of the industry perceive our roles? It's not just how we perceive our roles, but like how we're perceived by everybody else. Yeah, definitely. And and those calls are great. They're either at seven o'clock in the morning or or midnight for me. Um, oh, really? This call, so <laughs> so um, yeah. That's why you're not um, on. You that's, really, a fair, you, that's fair. Yeah. So you either get me really, really tired or um, after a couple of beers. That's kind of the only, <laughs> the only way I'm joining those calls. After a um, couple of beers would be great, <laughs> I think. Yeah. So, um, so look, I think um, my take on this that, that I kind of wrote was I think there was a really big study done in the early, in the early 2000s. Um, Andrew Hale and Frank Goldman and, and others, they, they went and surveyed a whole heap of uh, safety professionals and it got picked up through all of the professional associations. I think a total of 12 countries ended up doing it. Nearly 9,000 responses from safety, health and safety professionals through about 2004 to 2007. And they said sort of like something like 60% of people spent 60% of the time all over the world doing the same sorts of things. And it was like safety training, writing safety procedures, doing safety audits, doing safety incident investigations um, and, and these types of things. And so I think what happened then is people went, oh, beauty. Okay, we know what these people do. So educational institutions do what they do, which is go, well, how do we train people to be able to do that well? Um, and, you know, they go, okay, they're doing all these risk assessments and all these procedures. So they need to understand physical hazards in the workplace and to support that to happen. So, you know, then we started seeing all of these capability frameworks and then these accreditation boards and all pop up. 
And I just don't think anyone stepped back and gone, you know, what should the safety profession actually be doing and how do we train for that? Um, and, you know, I think that's the big gap at the moment. So, you know, in that paper that you mentioned before, there's two, you know, I saw two quite distinct um, sets of beliefs from professionals. And it came down to pretty much that first question I asked, which is what's your safety background and how'd you get into it? And basically the people who went to uni and then went into safety, like me, um, believed that they were the true professionals, believed that safety was a lot about top-down direction and systems and processes. Um, and then the people who'd been firefighters or um, in the military or pilots or something, and then ended up coming into safety after you know operating in a high hazard thing, First of all, they rarely even wanted to call themselves safety professionals. <laughs> they were in a safety job, but they definitely didn't identify as a safety professional. And they sort of talked a lot about bottom-up creation of safety and people and um, and complexity and you know more about culture and 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 leadership and and some of those types of things. And said, "Oh, you know," but it was interesting that both groups of people pointed the finger at the other as not being very mm. effective. You know, and I think that's. Mm. So we've got a problem because I believe that we should have the profession should have a qualification framework. I don't believe we've got the qualification framework right. Mm. Yeah, I, I I think yeah I would agree, and I I would probably I remember you describing the, the that those kind of the two backgrounds of safety in, in your in your podcast when you talked about it with Drew, and I was sitting thinking I don't feel like personally my background fits with either of them. It probably fits with the with the latter, the people that have done something else before. I essentially was like a teenage layabout um, that wanted to work in theatre or be a journalist. Uh, so for oh, I trained as an electrician so I could be a lighting engineer in theatre. Did that during a recession. Uh, that, that, that never worked out and then just took a job in safety. There's, a, there, there's an extremely long story. I've been a chef, warehouse, everything. I've done a lot. I took a job in safety uh, and was that traditional safety one kind of audits, audits, audits kind of person for a long time. And then, you know, oh, I don't like this. Hit the point. But I think I think everybody gets to this point who, if they're of a mindset of me, they're like, I don't want to be this police officer anymore. And I know that came up in your in your research as well. But I think that there's a benefit to having both of those routes, like people that have done something else before, people that started this as this is their first career or went to university. And, and like, it reminds me of uh, like Matthew Syed's work around like uh, in his book. And I know he got it, probably got it from somebody else, but you know, I'm new to all this, but cognitive uh, diversity, you know, those different backgrounds bring different ways of thinking where I think we fail, which I think is what you alluded to is that we fail to, just talk to each other in a calm professional manner and, and acknowledge that somebody from uni can bring something a different way of looking at things or somebody from the military for example can bring a, another completely way different way of looking at things and that's a good thing yeah i couldn't agree more i think like we said the complexity and of the safety professional role is if if you've got a team you just want you know as much diversity as you can get on that team. So if mm. I was building my ideal team, I'd have like exactly like you just described, I'd have, you know, some people, you know, who had come through university pathways, some people who'd come off tools, some people who'd come from all different backgrounds, you know, and, and spend time helping people to sort of value and appreciate and have empathy for that kind of difference and diversity. Um, and that's, I think, how you'd make a safety team the the most effective. Um, because you need it and if you and i suppose you know if you 
if you've spent if you've come out of out of the workforce into a safety role then i think you'll be more effective if you take the time to do some reading and and explore come at some of the ideas that are shaping the roles and the functions in the organization and equally if you've you know done a lot of study and you know haven't done a lot of frontline work yourself you know spend a, as much time in the field as you possibly can just looking at work and talking to people who do that sort of work and and trying to walk in their shoes and understand what life's like for them um and yeah and round yourself out that way i kind of said i think i might have said in the podcast and i i say it because i um i really like the idea that i think you know safety university degrees should have a semester where the students have to take the semester off and go get a job as a laborer or a cleaner in a hospital or a garbage yeah. truck driver or any other that. job and and look back at safety and go you know what's it like to actually do the work you know mm. experience the safety processes and and you know and the challenges of doing work um and that's just one way of saying i think we've got to round out the experiences and the the knowledge that the professionals have yeah you did say that in a podcast i remember thinking that that's spot on i remember you listened to that i remember exactly where i was i was walking my dog just down the road from my house and then thinking yeah that's it that is spot on i think and and from my experience when i when I, I remember in my first role when i started getting more into the work i started building relationships with machine because i come from a manufacturing background so getting a relationship with the machine operators and understanding their their challenges their pressures i started to see so much more payback for me they you know that we just from just having a good relationship with them you know mainly i was getting invited on the golf days out which was a great start but secondly <laughs> you know they were coming to me when they had problems and concerns just because we started building up that relationship but i, I remember the clear the clear kind of um benefit from it. it was one of the challenges we had when i started was getting safety observations you know, don't don't shoot me i know there's a there's a there's a view on those safety observations but it we, we that was what we wanted to do right that's what we needed to do but we couldn't get them and there was a sense that there was a sense that what we were observing was not reality which i think we all probably know you know it's a, the supervised behaviors versus the unsupervised behaviors so we kind of had that sense and this was all coming from my manager at the time and he was saying you know james this is i've just come up into this like the team leader type role and he was like this is what i want you to get uh, done like i want more observations and i want good observations I, I couldn't tell you where i got the idea from i may have dreamt it i might have read it but i just thought i'm not going to go to the operational team and say i want to do a safety observation i'm going to say i want to volunteer my time in the hours that i work to pack at the end of the machine or to to help do whatever i can God, within months we were getting loads and loads of requests every time that we had this with this one set of orders which was like just really horrible, really fast patient. You always had like five or six people on the end of the machine. Every time we had that order, there was a, hey, do you want to do a safety observation? Because it wasn't a safety observation anymore. It was a second pair of hands. Obviously, there was a difficult part when I had to remember everything that was going on because uh, I couldn't write it down because I was actually working, which was a challenge in itself. But we, we were doing that observation and they didn't feel like they were being observed. They felt like they were getting an extra pair of hands, which for me, I just thought was like, wow, game changer. Yeah, love that approach. And I think the, the takeout is just, you know, you have to, you know, I, I say it a little bit, I think, you know, the quote that, um, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
And mm-hmm. so, you know, just don't even think about starting to try to tell people, you know, how you want them to think or what you want them to do until you've got a relationship with them. You know, and the hard part for a safety professional is, you know, there's no shortcut to that. That takes time, like, like you've described. And the number of different stakeholders that the safety professional has means that, um, means that it's, it's just got to spend a lot of time in the field and a lot of time talking to people. And, and so I say to safety professionals, it's like, if you don't have 50, 60, 70% of your week, just as white space for you to do that, for you to just have coffees with the managers, mm. go out in the field, follow a hunch, see a weak signal, go collect some information about it, make some random phone calls around your business. You, um, you, you're just never going to be in a position that when you really need to actually get, get some support in your company, that it's, it's there ready to go. And I know that's a hard thing to do because companies really want to see tasks being delivered. And one of the participants in the research that you talked about said to me is, look, the most important part of my job is the 20 or 30 conversations that I have every week uh, that sort of just keeps me informed and keeps the organization kind of the, the, the glue that holds the organization together. But no one cares about that. No one sees it. No one measures it. All they care about is if my Wednesday report's late. And I always kind of remember that to go that actually, no, 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 this is a, this is a social role in organizations. And this is a role that the company has to value the social component um, and, and make sure that their safety people are spending more than 50% of their time on that. Yeah, I love that. I think that, I think that, that is, I can resonate with that comment, definitely. I think, you know, I remember, I, well, you know, we got invited to the golf days at this manufacturing meet, and I genuinely found out, got so much more. It, it, it wasn't a golf day. Well, it was, we were playing golf, but it, it was a feedback loop, essentially, because we were going on this golf day. I was finding out so much more about how people felt about our safety systems when we were playing golf when we were having breakfast before golf when we were having beers at the end they were all like oh james that new risk assessment you put out the right pain in the ass and i'm like well get involved in it and let's change it let's make it better um and i just think that like now you know that i was lucky you know all all of that stuff was just luck that i come across that but now i'm just i'm so grateful that we went through that because you're right i think as much as we 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 had andrew sherman on the podcast I'll reserve my opinion of him, but but that side, it was um, he says in his books, you know, it's safety is a social exercise, and I can, I resonate with that totally, totally. Yeah, and like before I left my last job, I had to. <laughs> this is, um, I actually had to go from to decaffeinated coffee because I was having, I must have been having ten or twelve coffee meetings every single day, and I turned into <laughs> an insomniac. I couldn't sleep because it was just like, oh. You know, I'll see if this manager's free and I'll see if this project manager's free and I'll, I'll, I'll go find this operations manager or, you know, this, this, this um, contract manager or something and find out what's going on in their department. You know, what are their challenges? What's, what's happening? You know, are they, are they having any, are they seeing anything in the business that I'm not seeing? Um, and that was pretty much how I spent. I mean, I had the time to, you know, build a good team around me, which meant I didn't have to do too much of the work anymore. Mm. And, you know, that's just basically how I spent, how I spent all my time. Um, you know, and it was probably the most valuable, the biggest contribution I was making to any organization in my whole career. And I think yeah. we also said just on that social piece, we wrote a quote that gets cited a little bit where we just said um, that uh, safety is never a standard to be achieved. Safety is always a point of consensus amongst stakeholders. Mm, I like right. that. Yeah, that so safety is always about what does the manager think? What does the technical expert think? What does the work? Um, so. Mm. That is good. And, and I think, yeah, I think that's so true. 
were the were the kind of people that you that you surveyed were that was it all in one country were they spread out across the world and and if they were spread out was there a difference in how people like geographically yeah so no no there wasn't so so it was a it was a case study within um a single organization so i interviewed people in the same organization and the reason that the research design was like that you know there's downsides to that but it one of the things was I was looking for the differences in beliefs about safety and beliefs about the role. And so if I had a whole lot of people from a whole different lot of companies, I kind of wouldn't been able to know if those differences were because of how they thought or because of the company that they were working in. So that was just one of the things. And and so that, that research, which, you know, I haven't had the time um, or priority to follow up on was to actually then go and say, well, actually, now that we've got these different ways of thinking, you know, what we really need to do is test this across a much bigger sample. But that was that, the main thing for me was just to control for knowing whether it was actually genuinely the belief of the person or whether it was just a feature of them um, playing out what their organization expected of them. So, mm. That's so that, that was the reason that it was all one company. Yeah. But I, I can kind of understand that, that, to be honest, that's something that I think. I, I suspect that's the skill of a researcher is to be able to preempt the, the potential problem with going with going wider. I would have I'd have just been like, well, why are we going one company? We need to go around the world, and and I'd have never thought of that. So that's a very valid point. Yeah, and exactly, exactly, exactly right. And um, and you know that's why if you're ever going to go do a PhD, just get an amazing couple of supervisors. And mm. yeah, it'd be no secret to anyone who listens to the podcast how amazing Drew is. Drew Ray is at um mm. at understanding research and and you know, how to get at questions and, and what's good and what's not. So, you know, that was, that was all his guidance, you know, cause this was very early in my research career. So um, I was just soaking it all in. Yeah. Yeah. The guy is, is impressive. Even, and, and what I think he's very good at Drew is, uh, is I've been messaging him as much as I'm messaging you. So if you could drop a line and get him to come on a podcast, that'd be great. <laughs> but I love the way he describes and explains research like he seems to do that pretty much in every in every episode it's like right just to explain what this type of research means and for me as someone who is like a complete newbie to that stuff and kind of really just inept to it to a point is it's a that's a real game changer it really helps people like me definitely and i think we don't realize so much that we're all in our roles researching every day you know, we're forming hypothesis and, and ideas about the way our company's functioning. And then we're going out and gathering data to try to kind of like confirm that or support that. Mm. And if you know how to do that, do that well, you know, you can, if you know when, you know, it might be useful to you know, ask, ask, go and ask 15 managers the same three questions. And then you can come back to your company and say, well, actually, we might have a problem here because 10 out of 15 managers have, you know, all have the belief of that the organization values production over safety. So let's talk about goal conflict in our business. And so I think the safety profession can be a lot more effective by having some of those basic um, research skills because we're doing it every day. I just don't think we're doing it very well. Um, yeah, I would, I would agree. And I think, I think I've never been taught stuff like that ever. And I think, I think it reminds me of, I think it's Todd that says um, the power is in the question, not in the answer. I might be wrong, but I'm sure it was Todd that said that. But I, I remember hearing that and thinking, Oh, Jesus, yeah. But then I'm like, then that opens up this whole kind of worms of like, well, how do you pick the right question? You know, what is the right question? And then you're like, well, what answer am I trying to get? And it's just like, oh, if you get a bit like lost in it, how, how would you, how do you think uh, you, someone like me, especially, could 
could develop that skill? Is there a specific way you book to read or a course to go on, or is it just kind of trial and error or all of the above? Look, I think um, I think you could listen to our podcast um, if, a, if you yeah, if you want to talk plug. about suppressions. Just a, a shameless a shameless kind of plug in there, but um, no, it's not. It's but not, I think no shame in it, mate. That's what you got to do. Uh, you got to plug your work. Got to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's a um. So so I know that you mentioned Todd. He's got a book, Better Questions, which is really good. Egg, um, I think uh, I think it was Edgar Shine who wrote Humble Inquiry, which is a, another amazing book. Um, and there's great pe- people like um, Daniel Hamadol and, and others who are just really good at asking questions and, and getting people to kind of tell them about their their world and their reality. And I think I think there's definitely books you can read to just learn how to um, how to ask good questions. But I think I think that's um, but they're pretty simple. Like I I don't know if you can ask a bad question. Um, okay. I think the message for the safety profession is is kind of that message that says you've got two ears and one mouth. So make sure you mm. ask two questions for every kind of statement that you make. So Classic. I, I kind of just say, I think, I think just start asking questions would be a good start. Yeah, I like that. And I think that's something the profession could definitely benefit from. Like just, just stop preaching a little bit and stop, you know, reckoning you know the answer to everything and just, just start trying to talk to people and be social. Like with what we kind of just said. Yeah, I think I was listening to one of your episodes this morning because uh, you you are you are a regular in my year. Uh, or even though I think it was yourself that said about uh, cautionary tales the new podcast. Uh, oh my god, what a podcast that is! Like I'm in love with it. I feel, I think I've finished it now. I feel there's not that many episodes on it, but I'm sure the last episode I listened to, he said this is the last in the series, and I nearly cried. Like it's so yeah. good. So thank you very much for that shout out. That was amazing. Um, and just quickly on that, like what, what is good about it? And I'd be interested to get your opinion, but what is good about it is we're talking about safety, but we're not talking about safety. Like we're talking about all the systems and stuff that we talk about in, in safety or in risk and resilience, but he's, he's not talking about safety. He's talking about the Grammys or, or, or kind of Adolf Hitler or something in the war. And you're just like, you, it's like people are learning about what we're talking about in safety. And it's completely well. Essentially, he's rebranded safety without without having doing it. That's just a bit annoying to me because that's what I was trying to do. <laughs> yeah, and because I think he's just, um, you know, not not labelling it safety. He's just talking about kind of like, you know, the the difference between success and failure. Yeah. Um. And and what that what that looks like when you're trying to achieve an outcome and you, you know, you make a mess of it. Mm. Um. So, so he's an amazing, amazing narrator and an amazing researcher, amazing journalist, Tim Harford. So I'd recommend that to anyone. Yeah, he is great. And to be honest, like I say, I'm new to all of this and I hadn't really heard of him until that podcast. And now I'm like, his books are on my wish list and everything. Like, (laughs) great guy. Um, But anyway, I I digress. The point I was going to make is something that you, you, I think, I think it was yourself. It could have been Drew. uh, They mentioned on an episode I was listening to this morning. I can't remember what it's called. But you, you, there was a comment you said in there, I'm sure one of you said that we, we need to be focusing more on qualitative, and I might have said that wrong, but qualitative kind of research and not quantitative research, which kind of piqued my interest because um, recently interviewed Don Cooper, and he's very, uh, very prominent in the safety one, safety two argument. And when we interviewed him, he said actually the complete opposite. He was like, for the safety two world, there's no quantitative 
evidence that this stuff actually works and all this and i don't want to get into a safety one safety two argument but from your kind of point of view especially i think it's unique because you've gone from you know one of us at the safety professional to now being like you know in this research world it's like it'd be really interesting if you could maybe just explain the two differences and, and why potentially qualitative is is in your opinion a bit better does that make sense yeah look because i think it comes down to um to what you're trying to learn what what research method is appropriate so if you want to know what people think you know surveys are fine um if you want to know if you want to sort of describe a you know how many people do this and how many people do that or what people's perceptions are like surveys are all great for that and you can count that and you can score that and and we still do that i mean i'm doing some big projects with companies where we're using survey tools to ask people what they think um but I think what we'd say is they're probably the least interesting questions. You know, we want to know questions that start with like, um, how does something happen and why does something happen? And, you know, and you know, what are the deep contextual factors around, around work? So if you want to look at what people do and understand why they do it, you've really actually got to use some more deep qualitative message. You've got to observe people working so I know at, the, at the lab. You know, we've done some projects with field researchers just doing exactly like what you described you used to do, which is just do the job with people and just take field observation notes and do that for weeks and weeks and weeks mm. under different conditions, under different experimental conditions and, and learn that way. Or, or deep interviews where you just get a chance to have this type of conversation that you and I are having that we can deepen our kind of our, our thinking process and understanding through it. So... I think some of the things that we're interested in in complex systems and in safety, um, I think the only way to describe it is to do qualitative research or to actually understand it is to do qualitative research. Mm. Um, and it's, in, it's interesting because, it, and I'm going to let you go in a second, I'm conscious we're coming up to about an hour and you've, you've probably got an actual life to get to when I'm talking to some weird young safety professional over in England. Hey, this, <laughs> this, is, podcast, this is podcast number five for the week and only two of them were my own. Oh really? Oh, awesome! Honestly, mate, you've taken a kind of world by storm. It's 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 amazing to see, and it's great because it's such a clever podcast, and it's so it's so simple. But you know, I've been on loads of Ron's calls, loads of those calls, and nearly every call somebody says, "Oh, I was listening to a safety of work podcast the other day," and then first, <laughs> like like the monkey brain in me, go at first goes, "Oh, you bastards." And then, then the other side of brain goes, oh, no, it's actually such a good podcast. It's so clever. Like, uh, and, and actually, I'm going to forget my other question and stick on this. Like, what, what made you kind of start that podcast? Was it just a general chit-chat over a beer with you and Drew? And was like, hey, do you think we should do a podcast? Because I know Drew had disaster cast before this. Or... Yeah, and look, the back catalogue of disaster cast is amazing. It's, it's, mm. it's, um, I don't think Drew a mind is saying it's, it might not quite be cautionary tales, but it's an amazingly well-researched um, set of, set of episodes, 50 or 60 episodes back there. So look, you know, when we, this might be a, might be a, a long sort of story, but I'll try not to be too long. So as part of my research, like I said, because I was, I was, I was doing a lot of research within the company. I was the head of safety of, but I was actually being a participant observer and, you know, that's a legitimate research method where I was taking field notes, but I was also sort of participating in my role, but, you know, doing reflections every day and, you know, interviewing people, observing people and, 
you know, just trying to understand the system. It's like when Jane Goodall wanted to understand what apes do, she went and just lived amongst the apes for a few mm-hmm. years, you know, to see mm-hmm. how they interacted. So, um, so like that's, that's a legitimate kind of ethnographic research method that I was sort of following there. And I came back to Drew one day and sat in his office after a four hour safety meeting that I was in and said, Drew, look, we, we spent four hours talking about safety and, you know, debating, discussing, high-fiving, patting each other on the back. And, <laughs> and we didn't actually have a single conversation about a specific risk that was facing the workforce. We didn't have a single, make a single decision that was going to do anything to improve safety within the organization. And we had, you know, all these managers sitting around for four hours. And so that's when we actually just started developing that, you know, trying to understand why that would be the case. Um, and we wrote that paper, safety of work versus so, you know, safety work versus the safety of work. Mm. And so that then, so then I went on from that and, and sort of I'd done seven months of interviewing safety professionals and observing their work and us asking them, you know, this is again, like the qualitative research method. You know, I sat down with something like 80 interviews with safety professionals, ask them tell me about a task you're currently doing in your job. Just pick anything. I don't care what it is, an investigation, a report, a management plan, just, just pick anything. And now let's talk about that. You know, why are you doing it? Why is it important that you do it now? What are you trying to achieve as an outcome? How are you approaching it? You know, what does success look like? Um, and never once in those 70, 80 interviews did anyone say, the reason that I'm doing this is because in this situation, the research or the safety science is clear that the best approach that we can take as an organization is to do this. You know, it never came up. There was zero kind of evidence-based narrative amongst the profession, you know? So this was kind of that thing where Drew and I were like, well, we criticized that, but we can't just keep telling people to read academic papers. Like I think even you've, you've said already, I don't like, you know, I'll maybe read the paper one day. Um, so you're the perfect listener for us, which is someone who's got a bit of an interest but he's not going to pick up an academic paper. And we just said, you know, Drew and I were just like, well, you know, if you're part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And, mm. and so we, we thought there was, an, there, was, there was a gap or there was an opportunity to provide a resource that was, um, that was trying to translate what's in the safety science uh, literature into practice for the professionals and, you know, help them just get a greater appreciation for uh, what research is and how it can be used and, um, how to be good consumers of research. So, um, you know, the, the podcast we recorded today, um, don't know if it'll beat yours out, don't know what schedule you're on, but um, what, whatever it'll come out is just, you know, how to find and and understand research papers, you know, just, just to okay. try to help people um, through that, you know. So, so that was the That's idea and that was the resource. And then I um, convinced Drew that it was a good idea. I caught him at a weak moment and, and signed <laughs> him up for a weekly, a weekly podcast. And, um, and, you know, I'm learning a lot. I mean, I'm reading stuff that I wouldn't normally read. I'm having, I'm reading one or two things, three things every single week. So, you know, it's hugely rewarding personally as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I would, yeah, I would uh, agree 100% that I've learned. I, I would say doing my podcast has just made me such a better safety professional or even, even a better person because the, the amount of people like, like I said, I am literally your, your perfect audience, I think, because I, I even if I, I struggle to read anyway, so I can read a book, but I have to read it at night, like throughout the day I'm busy. But what I do is I talk, I love talking to people and I, and I love listening to interesting things. So podcast has always been a thing for me. I love them. 
um, the longer the better. You know, I'm a massive fan of long form. I love Joe Rogan stuff, like four hour yeah. conversation. I'm like, yes. Or, so, or Rich Roll or someone. Yeah, yeah Rich Roll. I like Rich Roll. You know, Rich Roll annoyed me the other day. He said something really bad about millennials. And I was just like, don't, don't tar me with, with that brush because of the year I was born. Anyway, I, lo- I do like Rich Roll stuff as well. And, um, and, so, and that's, how, that's how I kind of learn. And that was one of, the, one of the drivers for me doing the podcast was selfishly, is that I just want to talk to people. I want to learn more and I have learned so much. But the other thing is like, there must be more people out there that just learn by listening or haven't got time to sit down and read long books or, or long research papers, but they have got time to drive. Obviously they're driving, they're walking a dog and they just think I could learn whilst I'm doing it. Um, there, there must be a, a kind of need for that. And, you know, I think we're all right, all of us, because we're seeing when I started, there was, there was only two podcasts uh, in the UK. There was uh, one, yeah, Sonny Gopal and uh, Richard, who, who do the Sonny Gopal, unfortunately. Now, I think he stopped doing his podcast. Now there's five. And then, in, you know, and from there, I think in, in, the, in the rest of the world, you probably have Todd Conklin was the most popular one in pre-accident investigation. I know Safety FM had quite a lot. But now, Jesus, it's just like boomed. There's loads of us because... Obviously, it's great. It's great advertisement for your business, but there's a there's a desire for this stuff. But I think what you two did, and I get to my point here now, um, is that what you two do so well is that you found that niche that there was no one else doing that. There was no one else getting research papers and translating them to like normal, uneducated people like me. <laughs> I'm not uneducated, you know. Um at all maybe just not as academically educated or, or whatever but it, you know that word educated is a um is a, is a loaded thing to say so <laughs> I, I just I, but i think look there's so many great like you said there's great i, I mean I, I i like the idea of you know um providing a resource you know I'd, I'd complained a lot about the profession and then i'd gone and kind of tried to learn a lot about the profession and and so i felt um that it might be helpful to to provide a resource and you know podcast is i People who know me um, know that you know you rarely get away from a conversation quickly. You know, once once we start talking, so yeah. So I think you know, podcast idea was good, and and but there's just so so many people out there who are doing great interview stuff, like you mentioned. Um, you know, yourself, and you know now people like Sam. You know, Todd's mm. always been there. Andrew Barrett in Australia here, and yeah, and yeah. and so you know, I thought you know I could I could interview people and get a lot out of it. But you know, what was the contribution that we could make? Um, that you know maybe a little bit not necessarily unique but you know a, a bigger contribution from 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 us in terms of what we could offer and so we thought we had an opportunity because my most of my career has been on the practical side of the fence um, and and most of Drew's career has been on the academic side of the fence so mm. um, so I was just yeah I was just fortunate I was just fortunate that he was he was up for it um, and that's a good dynamic. I really like that dynamic in your in your podcast. Is is those two different dynamics? A real academic based person and that kind of practical uh, experience or background. I think it works really well and complements really well. And so I think it's a great partnership. And it's interesting. Just quick, I will let you go in a minute. But uh, Andrew, that you mentioned, who when it's Safety on Tap, isn't it? That he runs. It's a good podcast actually. And um, I'd come, I'd come across him, but in my early days in the podcast, we used to have a very cocky introduction to, to the first probably 10 or 15 episodes that we were the only uh, 
interesting and entertaining safety podcast in the world like i did i had no evidence to back that up other than my own arrogance <laughs> but it was just a, a very off the hoof comment and uh, fair play to andrew he'd obviously scoped me out as a as, as another podcast on the market and he dropped me a message saying if i challenge you that you're the only interesting and entertaining podcast so i was like fair play mate i like that i like that you yeah. challenged me it was good no andrew's good like that i mean I, andrew i mean andrew had me on um, he was the first podcast that I ever, ever, ever got on and spoke about. And it was pretty much in the year that I started my PhD. So we're talking five years ago or so. So he's been, he's been at it for a long time and providing yeah, a great yeah, resource, yeah. you know, over, over here. And, um, and he's a great mate too. So that's, um, but it's good. It's, it's just such a big network now. I just, I just love the fact, you know, it comes with its challenges, but I just love the fact that we've got, so, you know, a platform like LinkedIn to engage with each other. I love the fact that we've got, you know, a podcasting platform because when, you know, when, when I was going through trying to understand the safety, trying to understand my role as a safety professional and, and trying to explore my doubts, you know, there was none of that. There was no podcast. There was no LinkedIn. There was no way to find, like it literally was get a book. Mm. <laughs> like um, mm. I don't think people realize like Facebook only started in about 2008 and like we're, it, it, it seems like that it's been these things have been around forever, but they haven't. You know, they they absolutely haven't. So I just, yeah, I, I definitely see more good in all of those platforms than than bad. But um, yeah, and and the more the merrier. I think. I think the more the more the merrier. I think that I've had a couple of people that have said, "Oh, you know, you've got more competition now, James." And I'm like, "That's great. It's not competition whatsoever." And I don't say that from an arrogant point of view. Is everyone's got different voices, different accents, different ways they think about things different like styles etc and there's thousands of millions of people in the world and some don't some hate my style of podcast and that's okay because they'll go over to colin like you said uh, in the uk or they'll go listen to andrew or the safety of work you know that that's fine and there's some people that hate colin's way of doing it I, I can say that with Colin because I've got a good relationship with Colin, so that's fine. That's why I picked him. Um, so, you know, they, they might hate the way Colin talks, and they're like, oh, I'm going to listen to James. And that's cool because we're all trying to do one thing. We're all trying to just make the world a little bit better. Uh, and I think it's great. And I think the, yeah. more, the, the more the merrier. And that's great. And I, I love that. I love that approach that you've got there. And, um, you know, I think if you're having fun pre preparing content, and if you're learning and getting something personally out of it, then... You know, we said from the start, I think Drew and I said is if um if if one person takes something out of each episode, then we've won. You know, like like that's 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 that. that's success. So I I remember at one point though, I get it's it's a bit hard not to get, you know, when you see the downloads and when you've been in um organizations your whole life and things get numbers driven and target driven. I was I was thinking at one point of, you know, like, um, oh, we need to you know, like maybe we'll get maybe we'll get Sid, maybe we'll interview Sydney Decker on the podcast and you know, we might bump up the numbers a bit and drew is such an amazing guy and you know probably the guy with the most integrity of anyone i know he's like no but sid doesn't do any research he's not he's not for our podcast um and straight away we we just had that good reset around episode 25 we just had that good reset of no 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 this is what we're here to do and it's not about kind of competition or downloads um you know drew's going calm down david it's not, it's not what it's about and um <laughs> And, um, you know, we're, we're good. We're, 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 we're true to that now. And so, um, like I said to you, the podcast we did today about, uh, how to find and read papers, he's going, well, this is probably, you know, going to be the best for people mm. who are doing research degrees. 
you know, or just starting a research degree, you know, and, and that's fine. They're our listeners too. Um, so we're, so it's good. We, we've got a narrow niche, like you said, but we're really clear in our own minds about what we're trying to, you know, the resource we're trying to put out there. It is, it is yeah. I think it's spot on. I think it's good to have that, that solid, you know, that solid kind of mantra. And it's good that kind of Drew, Drew kind of held you, held you to that because it's so easy to get sucked in the numbers. I've been there um, and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is the podcast. This is the one that's going to take us, you know, viral. We're going to have thousands. And then it doesn't happen. And you get, you beat yourself up and like, everyone looks at the numbers i think i spoke to jay allen about this and um i was saying you know everyone looks at the numbers and that's cool you know don't say that you don't look at the numbers because everybody yeah. but it's how you interpret those numbers and react to them i think is the difference and i think that's what on. you know what you're there for and i think whilst your your uh your kind of niche is quite narrow to a point i think it's it's it, yes it's narrow but it's kind of really broad at the same time because all of our profession will, 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 I think, take some value from, from, from what you do, 100%. Yeah, and, and it'll be, hopefully over time, there's a resource there, you know, that, that people can sort of search through if they want to learn something about, you know, risk management, risk matrices or behavioral safety or, or, or whatever it is. And, you know, there's tens of thousands of safety mm. research papers that are out there. And then there's, you know, um, millions of papers in, other disciplines like we've talked about like business and um psychology and that, that you know we can learn about something to do with safety from so mm. um where you're right in that context we're kind of we can we can kind of talk about anything that someone's done some research exactly. on that we think has any sort of relation to safety and mm. you know we're, we're not going to run out of people to interview so um but but we're, we are going to get more researchers on. We are going to talk directly to the people who write papers and sort of get their perspective on the work that they've done and other cool. things like that. And, you know, we might try and um, test a few other types of little formats just to just to keep keep getting something out every week, basically. Yeah, yeah, it starts to become a challenge. Um, but I, I would genuinely going to let you know you go now. There's one last thing I would like to say is that you did say in one of your podcasts that unfortunately to everyone that says good safety is good business, the evidence does not show that good safety is actually good business. And that peed all over my bonfire because I've been saying that for years that good safety is good business. I would like to see an episode exploring that a lot more. That'd be real nice. Yeah, look, and just for some context, not to just leave that bomb out there, you know, that's that's one of these things you talked about, Carsten Bush earlier about, you know, um, safety myths and things like that. It's one of those things that that people just say, and um, you know, it's a really mixed bag out there. You know, there's there's research that's looked at companies' reported safety performance and then their 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 share performance or profits over a, over a certain period of time, and said, oh, look, there's a bit of a trend there, but you know, there's nothing really causal necessarily about that. Um, there's, there's some research that was done into Bhopal that said that, you know, that, you know, the big explosion in, in India that said, oh, you know, that was hugely profitable. They ran that plant super cheap by not spending on maintenance for years. And then when it blowed up, they got a huge insurance payout and they never had to abandon or decommission the plant. And so there's, there's lots of things that sort of say that, look, it, we might all believe it, but then when you look at it from a pure research point of view, there was another paper that we looked at that had compared all different construction businesses around the world and their safety performance and their profitability. And there was absolutely no relationship at all. There was mm, businesses wow. with great safety performance and terrible profitability and, and vice versa. Now, I think that's I think what I was listening to this morning. 
Oh, that's what I was listening to this morning, actually. What, what was that it one just called? might kind of go that. Oh, that okay. That's the one. Yeah, there you go. Um, that was um, how professionals influence. I think Diadigus. Um, it was it? Oh no, so zero look, zero harm policy. Is what I, was, and I think you, you talk about uh, the okay. construction industry. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Yeah, that's topical. That's that's topical. Um, yes, yeah. So so look, I think yeah, and look, I think it's a, it's a mixed bag. I mean, there's not a, there's not a clear and direct relationship between the two things. You know, I would still say to that the things that you do to try to improve safety, you know, to, to understand your work, to provide resources and, and support to your workforce, to have open communication in your business, to know what's going on and align your organization around what's important. Uh, if you're doing those things, you're probably going to end up running a better business. Mm. Um, but, you know, you've actually got to explain it to people, not just say, you know, um, yeah. do these, implement this safety system and you're going to be more profitable. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, bye. <laughs> and then just walk off. Yeah, thanks, 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 <laughs> you bye. Go, go give that's some behind, that's, that's kind of behind my comment to say, you know, if someone says good safety is good business, it's just what we're trying to do on the podcast, which is, you know, show us the paper, just show us mm. the research. Um, no, I like it. Not to say it's, it's not there, but we, we, we try to, try to um, reserve judgment on the questions. Mm. No, it's a great podcast. Congratulations. Very well done. And thank you very much, David, for, for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to, to have a chat with you, mate. No worries. Great. Um, thanks a lot, James. Okay, peeps. Hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did and you love what we do at Rerouting Safety, maybe you want to work with us some more. Maybe you want to buy some merch. Maybe you even want to donate. You could do all of that at rebrandingsafety.com. So go to rebrandingsafety.com. Check out our new website. It looks slick. Get yourself some merch, some new products coming soon. Um, but if you're going to do anything, if you're going to do one thing, I would love, I would love for you to go to reboundingsafety.com, scroll down to the bottom and subscribe to our mailing list because, well, it just means I can hassle you a little bit more. Honestly, to be honest, we haven't got any plans to start a mailing list at the moment. Uh, I would like to get the list, but we haven't got a plan to, like, you know, do the monthly mail things because it's just too much work. Um, but I really want your email because... Well, I like to hoard data. I'm a GDPR worst nightmare. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with me. Anyway, I've got to end this because I need to edit some more podcasts. My wife needs to go collect the shopping. I need to sit with my daughter for a little bit because she's freaking awesome. And I will catch you next week in the final interview reflection of the Safety 1, Safety 2 miniseries. And then after that, there'll be one big reflection on Safety 1 and Safety 2. And that's it. Two more episodes. And that is it. Safety 1, Safety 2 mammoth series is over. And we'll start talking about loads of other stuff. Catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. Thank <laughs> you.